want to talk about uh, shipping packages. I know it's a weird way to start, but uh, today we receive packages from across the world, and a lot of times we get them within two days or less, right? And sometimes, if I mean, if you pay enough money, you can get them overnighted to you, and it, it's pretty awesome. And what if you had to wait eight days for a package to get delivered? Um, I know sometimes that has to happen, but like that seems like an eternity sometimes if you have to wait that long to get a package. But what if it were the 1860s? Eight days would seem pretty good. And that's how long people had to wait for their deliveries. Today I want to talk about the Pony Express. Pony Express was a private company and it carried mail with horseback riders across the western United States. There were 184 Pony Express stations that went from, uh, it was a 2,000 mile uh, journey from St. Joseph, Missouri, on the eastern end of it, to Sacramento, California, on the western end of it. The, coast, or the cost for sending a half-ounce piece of mail was the equivalent of what would be $25 to about $125 today. And if everything went right, the mail would be delivered within 8 to 10 days. But of course, there were variables that the riders had to deal with. They had to make sure that their horses were up to the task. They didn't have to ride the whole distance, but they had to ride for quite a good way, so they needed to be able to hold out. The weather would be a hindrance to that, as you might imagine. Or there was the threat of Native American attacks along the route. Pony Express, I don't know if you knew this, but the Pony Express only operated for a little over a year. It was uh, from April 1860 to November of 1861. In November of 1861, that's when the telegraph got completed between the two cities, and so the Pony Express was really kind of out of a job because of progress and everything. is no longer needed. Think about the riders for this. You need to be tough to be a Pony Express rider. The expectation was for you to ride 75 to 100 miles a day, and you would change out your horses every 10 to 15 miles. You really couldn't carry a lot other than the mail because you wanted to keep nimble and light. And, but they did carry a knife and a revolver for protection and anything that would come along the way. They rode ride in their uh, shirt sleeves whenever they could, even in winter, because they wanted to keep as mobile and as light as possible. And so with all that, though, how do you recruit people for this job? Well, you do like what we would do today. You'd put an ad out. You put it in the newspaper back then. And here's an ad that was placed in one of uh, San Francisco's newspapers in March of 1860. It says, wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders willing to risk death daily. Orphans preferred. They put everything out there, right? They're, they, they're telling you the expectation that, you know, you've got to defy death daily, and you've got to be an expert rider. We really don't want people who, if they die, there's going to be lots of connections with it. Here's what we need. Here's what you're going to be doing. And they never suffered for riders. You would think that they might, but they didn't. They always had plenty. I mean, think about it if you were a young guy at this time, and you were looking for adventure and excitement, camaraderie, thrills. I mean, that seems... Like, this is the perfect job, and you're eager to sign up, 
And I'm sure some of those things were fulfilled. But there was an awful lot of long and hard hours and loneliness that was probably the more routine part of this job. Now, we've been going through a sermon series on individual spiritual habits that we should be embracing as Christians in order to help us walk closer with God. Our goal is to help you, help give you practical ways that you can put these habits into your lives and grow your relationship with the Lord. And so far, most of these habits have kind of been focused on us, on what we can do for us. Although we've had a couple like fellowship and worship where we're in the company of others. But the habit that we're looking at today, while it's still something that we need for ourselves, it's definitely others focused because it's the habit, like Lynn said, it's a habit of service. The reason I started with the Pony Express story is, well, there's really two. It's because first, we, we need to be like the newspaper ad that we're searching for writers. We need to be completely upfront with what Christ is asking when he's asking you to serve. To be a writer in the Pony Express, you needed to be completely committed to the cause. The same is true for us as Christians. We need to be completely committed because God is not simply asking for your help in working with him as he grows his kingdom here on earth, which he does ask us to do, but he's asking for far much more because he's asking for your life. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die to yourself and serve him. We might be excited too, kind of the second reason. We think that this is, you know, you can have a really exciting mission as a Christian. And when you look at missionaries or pastors or martyrs and and you dream of serving Christ in the world, but you do amazing things, adventurous things for the gospel, but oftentimes that's not really what it looks like. It's the more mundane. It's the the daily, day-to-day life that's not that, that glamorous. It's just going through life as a servant of Christ. So with that being said, let's take a look at a deeper look at the habit of service. In the New Testament, there's one Greek word that is used over 93 times that gets translated as servant, and that is the word doulos. can also be, and maybe a little bit more appropriately, be translated as slave bringing its total usage up to 126 times in the New Testament. But as one Bible encyclopedia puts it, the slavery of Judaism was not the cruel system of Greece, Rome, and later nations like our own. The prime thought is service. The servant may render free service. The slave, obligatory, restricted service. The use of this word in the New Testament should be eye-opening to us. We always talk about the freedom that we have in Christ, right? But it's in that freedom that we place ourselves under his authority and die to self to make ourselves servants or slaves of God. And so we serve. We serve not out of the obligatory restricted service as one who is needing to pay off a debt or someone who's been captured in war or who's been arrested and is trying to make restitution. No, we we serve not because we have to, but because we get to, because we can. We serve out of love. We serve out of love for our God because of what he did for us and freeing us from the penalty of sin. And we also serve out of our love for others who we see, who we correctly see as people made in God's image. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.19. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, 
I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Martin Luther once wrote that a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. Now, we talk about the habit of service and it being a, a discipline, and, and we're going to talk about practical ways that we can serve others, but we've also got to look beyond it simply being something that we do as a discipline, like with all of these. They've got to kind of move past where it's just like our habit to do it. it it's got to be more than that. It, it's got to be something that we do because we, we want to, not because we have to. It's got to become our lifestyle that we do these things. It's, it becomes who we are, that we are people, especially in this instance, we are people who serve. And of course, as we look at scriptures, we see many examples of people who lived out this lifestyle in their lives because they were followers of God. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, there's the story of Joseph, who's one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery because they wanted to get rid of him. As a servant in the household of the captain of Pharaoh's guards, Joseph served well, and eventually he was put in charge of all of the other servants. And then he was wrongfully accused and arrested and placed into jail. And while he was there, he, he served well. And then he was eventually placed in charge of all the other prisoners. Then through some other amazing circumstances, he interprets a dream for Pharaoh. And following that, he serves well and he's put in charge of plans to survive a famine and eventually becomes what would basically be like a chief of staff to Pharaoh is running the day-to-day -day operations of Egypt. Now, Joseph could have worried about his circumstances. He could have rightly complained about how unfair it was that he was in that situation, and yet he didn't. He faithfully served wherever he was, and God continued to show his favor to Joseph. And if you want to read that whole story, it's in Genesis 37 through 50. Another example is the Apostle Paul. Paul was once a Pharisee, one of the religious elite leaders in ancient Israel. And, and his goal was to hunt Christians, to persecute them, and he approved of their killing as well. But one day, he's headed to this town called Damascus because he's trying to persecute some Christians there. And he encounters Jesus in an extremely powerful way. And from that point on, his life was in service to Christ. Paul would end up traveling to the Gentile people in Turkey and Greece and Rome, setting up churches and helping them in their beginning walk with Jesus. He was a powerful communicator, and you can see that in some of the stories that we read in Acts. And in starting many of these churches, he didn't see it necessarily as, as work, where he was supposed to get something back from the people. He was serving them. And here's what he wrote to the church in, uh, in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me 
to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I'm absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul's goal was to present the word of God to these churches that he planted, and, and he continues contending for them. He's praying for them. He's, he's asking God for things on their behalf. And his delight is to see how disciplined they might have become, or they have become, and how firm their faith in Jesus is. And so, like, we read that, and we see, like, Paul's not making it about himself here, really. He, he wants to it wants it to be about the people that he's serving. The greatest example of service in Scripture comes from Jesus. It's a well-known passage where Jesus serves his disciples on the night he was arrested. During the Passover meal, Jesus gets up, he grabs a basin of water, and he starts to wash his 12 closest followers' feet. After he's finished, he explained what he did in John chapter 13, verse 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus demonstrated the service to others that he once his followers to emulate. He is our master with no servant being greater than their master, then we should serve as he did. And really that's his command. And it's not the only place that he commands this in scripture. In the gospel of Luke chapter 22, there's a dispute that comes up between the disciples. They're arguing over which one will be the greatest. And here's Jesus's reply. In verse 25, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. See, Jesus came as one who serves, so we should serve as well. And there's a similar story in Matthew 20 where the mother of James and John asked Jesus to place her sons at his right and left hand when his kingdom comes on earth. And that's a place of prominence at the right and left hand, and that made all the other disciples upset, and so they start bickering with each other. And again, Jesus talks to them all. 
Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. It's very similar to the previous passage. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember these things. See if I can pull it out here. Here we go. It may be hard to see, but this is those bracelets. It's got four letters on it. They were big in the 90s, I think. You know, it's WWJB. If, if you don't know, it stands for what would Jesus do, right? It's supposed to help you remind, be a reminder to you, like you wear it on your wrist. And, and so any decisions that you make, any situation that you come across, you know, you would ask yourself, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? So what would Jesus do? Yeah, just generally. I mean, I think he would serve, and he would serve with love. He would serve with love, but don't let don't let what that means like be lost on you. This is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, Son of God, God in flesh, through whom all things were created, and he came to live as a human to serve. And so we serve as well because we're not greater than our master. And we don't just do it individually either. We also serve as a body of believers. And praise God, we are all not the same, right? Like we all have different abilities and personalities and gifts from God. And we're able to use all of those things to build each other up and also to serve our community. As Paul writes in Romans 12, 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We all have different functions. As a body, every part's got a different function, but we still serve each other and we serve the world. But then practically speaking, how do we do this? I look at five ways that I think that we can do this. And one came up too soon, but you're getting a preview. (laughs) But that's okay. Because the first way is to serve here, serve in the church. There, There are a lot of ways that you can serve here at Maple Grove. Some are more visible than others. There are a lot of behind-the-scenes kinds of things. But we've got opportunities to serve in many different places. I mean, you can serve on the praise team, helping lead our congregation in worship. Or you might be a gregarious person, and and being on our greeting team would work out for you. You can serve in our children's ministry, working with the kids of our church to learn and grow in creative ways. And if you're not a teacher, that's okay, too, because there are ways that you can serve over there yeah, that, that aren't teaching um, as like a greeter or something. You can serve on our audiovisual team running the soundboard or the slides. You can help take care of the building and property here. 
Some of these things are not public ways to serve, and that's okay. It kind of reminds me of something that I read from a man named Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He says, the ministry of serving may be as public as preaching or teaching, but more often it will be as sequestered as nursery duty. It may be as visible as singing a solo, but usually it will go as unnoticed as operating the sound equipment to amplify the solo. Serving may be as appreciated as a powerful testimony in a worship service, but typically it's as thankless as washing dishes after a church social. Most service, even that which seems the most appealing, we perceive as we would the tip of an iceberg. Only the eye of God sees the larger hidden part of it. Now, the second way in which you could serve is in the community. Find somewhere in the community to serve, whether it's locally here, like volunteering at Wheeler Mission or, or down at the warehouse or maybe one of the schools. I'm sure there's more areas where you could serve that you know about that we don't, and that's great. And maybe, maybe you just use what we talked about in the second message of the series where we talked about praying with your eyes open to see where God's working in our community and then just join him in that and serving where you can. Third thing is to serve at home. Now, when we talk about service, we don't always think about serving at home. But think about how you can better serve your spouse or your kids or your parents. You know, for kids, it, it might be cleaning your room uh, you know, without being asked or to pick up around the house. Your spouses, you know, find ways to lighten the load of your husband or wife. I mean, I'm not married, so I, I surveyed some people to uh, see what they thought would help. And mostly it was mentioned that, you know, it was helping with like the mundane tasks around the home. That would be very much appreciated. Another way to serve is at your job. Whatever it is you do, do it with the best of your ability in your work. Not just because you want to keep your job, but because you want to do what's best for those with whom you're working and for whom you're working. Treat your coworkers well and, and serve them the best that you can as well. For some, it might be to not engage in office gossip or something like that, or maybe you get coffee for everybody one day or you pay for lunch. I always love it when you go to lunch with a couple people together who are trying to like outserve each other. And so like I've seen many a sneaky side conversations with a waitress, you know, it'd be like, no, the bill comes to me. It's all on one bill. I get it. And then the other person tries to get it. And then there's just an argument and it's awesome. Um, you know, who, who gets the bill first? <laughs> now, the fifth, the last way that I think we can serve is to let others serve us. Which that may sound like a weird way to serve. But it is a, a good way to serve. Oftentimes, we get so caught up in like our independence and our own wills that we don't let others serve us. We might not even think about it because, you know, we don't want to be a bother to other people, and that's fair. But when we do that, we do not allow others to practice this discipline of service. Now, there are times when you've got so many people trying to serve you, like if you're sick or injured or something like that, and, and it's like everybody wants to help, and so you're just get a little bit overwhelmed, and you're like, please stop. And, and that's okay. Like, there, you might, be, might have times where you need to push back on it. But for the most part, have some humility 
and let people serve you. And then when they do it, thank them, but look for opportunities to serve them back. All right, for our habit homework this week, we'd love for you to practice serving in one of the ways that I mentioned, whether it's volunteering somewhere in the church, in the community, at home, at your job. The opportunities are, I believe, literally endless in how you can serve. So start to research ideas, pray about it, definitely. Or jump in if you aren't already. And if you wanna serve here, we've got those little yellow cards in the seat back pockets in front of you. Just fill one of those out and you can hand it to me or put it in one of the boxes out there and we'll get it. Um, check off an area where you wanna serve. There's a few options on there. If, if there's an option on there that you don't see that you think that that would be a good place for you to serve, write it in. And we will get back with you and we'll get you plugged in. But whatever you do this week, keep an eye out and look for areas to serve and to serve well. Now, as I wrap up this message, there's one more area that we can serve, and it's probably the most important. And that's serving others by sharing the gospel. The gospel is the most important thing for people to hear. As Philip Nation writes, in the gospel, we see the service of God toward us. We find freedom from our sin. The God of the universe shows his love for us, and we, in turn, give our love to him. It is in servanthood that we meet Jesus as he dies to turn away the wrath of God from our sin-soaked hearts. That takes me back to the words the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. This is in verses 22 and 23, where he says, To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Everything we do points to Jesus, especially your lives as you serve others who might not yet know him. And so share your life in love. Share Christ with others who need him. And let's practice well the habit of service. Would you pray with me as we close out? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for being able to come here today and worship you together as a church. And we just pray that you would help us to serve others well, whether it be here at church or in our community, at home or at our jobs or even just letting others serve us, giving them an opportunity. And Father, we, we just pray that through all of those things, we do it not because we have to, but because we get to. Because you've loved us so much that you served us in sending your son And he went to a cross and he, he paid for our sins in his death with his blood. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for the ultimate act of service in Jesus. Help us to just follow him 
in whatever way that may lead, whether it is in you know, the grand, exciting ways, or whether it's the mundane day-to-day, that we just continue to serve you and serve you well. Father, I pray a blessing over all of us that we would go from here, that we would start looking for opportunities where we can help and, and where we can serve others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.